lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good morning, Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640, a little James Bond to wake you up, 1971, Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney and Wings. Oh, it's going to be a great show. We are going to speak to a Bond manager, Tom Goggins of Manulife, uh, Senior Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Manulife Asset Management, going to help us in the world of bonds. We are then going to take a trip across the pond to speak to one of our strategists in Europe, Robert Jukes, and we're going to end it talking entertainment law with our good friend Sarah Scott from La Polt. She's an entertainment lawyer, and we're going to talk about our good friend, well, once good friend, I guess, hey, Jack, uh, Kevin Spacey, and, uh, well, not my friend, uh, Mr. Weinstein, and all the allegations, what they got to do to draft up entertainment contracts these days. So lots of juice coming our way. But without further ado, let's learn more and more about the bond market. I want to welcome Thomas Goggin back to the show. Thomas, thank you for joining us this morning on Hi-Fi Radio. Thanks, Wolfgang and Jack. Uh, pleasure to be with you. Yeah, and happy Thanksgiving to you. You're, uh, what, what city are you in? Uh, Boston. Oh, you're, you, you are in Boston today, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on the show this morning. I hope you're having a good Thanksgiving in America. Markets were uh, shut down on Thursday in the States, half day on Friday. Uh, the bond market, was it open on Friday? It was closed on Friday. European markets were opened up. European markets. And now, again, uh, with Manulife, the reason Jack and I own your fund uh, is it, it serves us on the fixed income aspect. Uh, so we use you for our conservative clients and our balanced clients. But what I think you guys do great is you is you offer a global overlay and a currency overlay. So you're, you're more than just a Canadian bond manager, correct? That is correct. Uh, it's a multi-sector global bond strategy, so it allows us to buy any fixed income instrument on a global basis. You know, tell me something. Um, uh, we have a fellow named Mr. Reynolds. He is a credit manager, uh, and he's working out of what is it, Jack? Is he out of New York? He's out of Boston too. Oh, he's out of yeah, Boston. Just inside of Boston, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Thomas, you may want to speak with Mr. Reynolds one day because uh, he believes that the equity bull market we are in is a result of characters like yourself, good characters that is, uh, <laughs> who, <laughs> who are um, realizing that there's so much demand for credit funds that new credit funds are popping up. Uh, I think about a hundred or so new credit funds were. were created in America this year. Uh, of course, all that, all that money that's being raised in the credit market uh, is making its way to the equity markets as companies are buying back stock. And it's the stock buyback that's really been driving this bull market. What's your opinion on that? Well, there has been a tremendous amount of money going into fixed income. And you can see that uh, on a weekly basis with the amount of money that's going into the ETFs. And as a result, um, it, the technical factors in fixed income have really pushed valuations on a big sector basis to extreme points. Absolutely. However, we're, we're still able to find individual securities that are attractive. But when you take a look at a top-down viewpoint, Wolfgang, it is um, on a sector basis, a lot of things look pretty expensive. You know, and obviously the equity market is no longer cheap. Um, some would think, and, and I'm going to be in that camp, I'm curious your opinion, uh, what's more egregious, debt or equity? 
Well, I'm not an equity portfolio manager, uh, so I, I probably am going to uh, fade on that that answer. I just know the fixed income markets. I find the fixed income markets on a on a big picture basis, again, a little bit on the rich side, but there are nuggets of opportunity in various uh, subclasses. Now, but the other thing that, that uh, Mr. Reynolds mentioned to us is not only are fixed income not only is fixed income still in demand, it's so it's, it's in such demand or should I say the hurdle rates that a lot of managers have, i.e. Uh, pension funds, hurdle rates where they have to earn a 6 or 7% return in a 3% world, they are going to the credit markets borrowing and buying more debt. So, so. Yeah, so you say 3 to 5 times leverage on these uh, these funds that you're talking about and I think the yield they're only getting is 3, so they have to leverage that up to you know, three to five times to get their their uh, their threshold. Yeah, they have to right? pay their, their carry. They, they, yeah, they have to pay their carry cost, whatever it may be. Like when you, if you were to borrow money, Thomas, what would it cost you to borrow some money? For in, individually? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, for as, your, as a for fund, your yeah, fund. for your fund. If you decide you want to use some oh. leverage in your fund and, and borrow some money to buy some more egregious yeah. bonds, what what could you borrow money for? Yeah, fortunately, fortunately, we don't we don't use leverage. Right. I think that that's but generally uh, the. Uh, funds or portfolios that do leverage, they uh, they are borrowing at the short end of the yield curve, and so uh, that's generally uh, with closed end funds, especially closed end funds tend to be focused on the short end of, of the yield curve. So you're talking maybe one or two percent. Aha! Uh-huh. And so they're rolling that that short term debt constantly, uh, and they're and then they're they're, they're buying longer term bonds and making a spread, hopefully. That's correct. That's the whole idea behind closed-end funds. Isn't that something? But if short-term, as short-term rates have been rising, their cost of carry has been rising. Correct. Huh. And, and again, that's and, one of the reasons why we don't we we our open-end strategy, so we don't have any leverage in our fund. Yeah. Well, look, we're going to find out how much money you can make us uh, without taking leverage. Uh, but first, what we have to do here, Tom, is pay the man. So just hang around, and we're going to talk more about bonds just right after this. Excellent. Fire Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Yes, a little James Bond. Carly Sim, 1977. What a great song that was. Uh, got a great guest on, Thomas Goggin, speaking to us from Boston. He is a bond manager. Uh, Thomas, um, how many bonds, or what is the size of the bond portfolios that you manage in aggregate? Uh, the total assets that we manage is about $39 billion. $39 billion. That is a lot of money. Wow. So uh, the bond market, 
you know, Jack just handed me a list here of bonds. Uh, you know, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. I can borrow some, or I can lend them some money, uh, get myself a 1.92 yield, uh, matures in 2020. Uh, go down the list here, some triple B paper from Molson Coors. They're going to be around uh, investment grade. Uh, matures in 2026, so it's like a nine-year bond. It's got a three-and-a-half yield. Um, it's tough, eh? Making money in the bond market. Yeah, you're, you're, you're attempting to make how much with your fund all in after fees, Thomas? Well, I mean, well, actually, we start out with the viewpoint that we want to um, have a volatility or standard deviation about between 4 and 8%, and then we kind of let the chips fall where they may in terms of the total return. But we, we see some really interesting opportunities outside the U.S. I think that's uh, where we see the most value right now is someplace like Indonesia. Oh, so you're talking emerging markets. I was just thinking of emerging markets. Yeah, emerging markets, I think, um, again, you have to distinguish between the guys who are going to pay you back and the guys that won't pay you back. But how, so how do you know which Indonesians are going to pay you back? Like, do you take a flight, yeah, flight yeah, over no, there and, and, and sit down with them over a drink? Uh, well, the, the, the government of Indonesia is investment grade, so it has a triple B rating just like the Molson. Say the same rating uh, agencies that, that rated all that uh, commercial paper back in 2007, 2008? Those are the same, those same, same guys. Same folks. Yeah, same <laughs> folks. But um, in, in this case, you can get 6.5% yield on uh, Indonesian government bonds. So we, we find that to be fairly attractive. Now you can and it is investment grade, you said, right? It is investment yeah. grade. It is, yeah. So, so, so Tom, to, I just say, Tom, when yeah. you're buying these emerging market bonds, are you taking on the, the currency risk? Or are you hedging that? Or are you buying them in U.S. dollars? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, we uh, tend to favor taking on that currency risk because we do have um, expertise in managing uh, the, the, the currencies. And so we have uh, the skill set to uh, to uh, manage that currency. We manage the portfolio 24 hours a day, six days a week. So I'm in Boston, but we have portfolio managers in London and, and Hong Kong. So we're able to manage that 24 hours a day. And we always manage it as if we're based in Canada. So the question is, what's the Indonesian rupiah going to do versus Canada uh, dollar, not the U.S. dollar, and so so that's part of your standard deviation analysis, I guess. Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay, but that's why we like you because what you do, like I could not buy myself an Indonesian bond if I wanted to. I don't know, it'd be tough for me to send Jack out to Indonesia to buy the bond. Uh, we couldn't do it on our bond trading desk, Thomas. I don't think we could. And if we could, we be could quite do it, cumbersome. Say, we could do it passively. We could do it through an ETF, I'm sure, exchange traded right. fund. But, the, but it's probably not the most efficient and intelligent way to do it. No, and the fact that you, you that you have offices around the world, I think that gives you a, a huge edge, Thomas. Uh, and lastly, the fact that you work six days a week, that gives you an edge too. I, I'm trying to get Jack to work six days, but he's got three kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're fortunate because at, at, at Manulife Asset Management, we have a very large office in Jakarta. Been over there several times, met with the government officials. So we have a high degree of uh, comfort uh, investing in, in a place like Indonesia. Give us some other ideas, because that, that Indonesian idea is cool. Well, you know, in the selected basis, I think the convertible area um, offers some opportunities. Again, you have to differentiate between uh, some of the more volatile ones that tend to be smaller market caps. But you know, there's there's a lot of interesting uh, convertible bonds, especially in this environment where equity markets continue to move up. Yeah, and sorry, sorry, Thomas, just just before you get ahead of yourself here, can you tell the listener what a convertible is? Sure. It's a bond. It starts off as a bond, and it's usually a limited maturity, so it's maybe three or five years along. You get a coupon while you're waiting to see if the, if the uh, stock and 
then the proxy for that would be the bond, appreciates sufficiently that the bond turns into equity. Now, we would never own the equity, but it's, it's an it's a, a ability of a bond to participate in equity uh, appreciation. So, yeah, we, so we like those in this type of market. Yeah, so the, so the convertible will work. If the, if the stock goes up, that will then lift the bond. You will have yourself a, an outsized gain. You would sell the bond then as opposed to converting it to the stock is what you're telling exactly. us. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and also, I, I, we find commercial mortgages um, to be fairly attractive in this market. We're able to uh, buy uh, commercial mortgages that tend to be in the double A, triple A area. Mm-hmm very close to what we are selling our investment grade triple B single A bonds at. So even yield, but going up in credit quality. Now, how, much, how much yield on that? How much yield on a mortgage bond can you well, pick up? Well, it, 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 it tends to be uh, depending on what you're investing in. We, we wouldn't invest in a shopping mall right now because of Amazon. Amazon effect. So those, those types of bonds would be uh, offer a lot more yield, but then sure. you're taking a lot more risk. So we tend to be Investing in central business district um, office buildings would be our, our focal, focal point. Yeah, look, Thomas, this is in the interest of time here. We do have to uh, hop, but I do want to ask you one question. Uh, Amazon came to market not too long ago and, and, and issued some debt. Uh, do you own any Amazon paper, knowing that it's, it's uh, Cyber Monday's coming up and Amazon's Amazoning, uh, Amazoning everyone else out there? Well, we have owned Amazon paper in the past. Uh-huh. Um, so so we view that as a... As a Big sector standpoint, we think that the technology sector, you know, those types of names like Amazon and Apple and and, and Alphabet tend to be undervalued by the uh, fixed income markets, while probably being overvalued by the uh, equity markets. So I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think there's some terrific opportunities there, especially when you consider how much cash is on the balance sheets of these companies. Oh, fascinating. Well, look, uh, Thomas, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. I know we took you away from your Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm sure you need some more turkey, buddy. So you go get it. And uh, I want to thank you for doing a great job at Manny Life Investments. Thomas Goggin, Senior Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager. Coming up next, we're going to London to speak to Robert Jukes, our international strategist. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Yeah, good morning. Hi-Fi Radio... AM 640, Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, co-host, producer, and just a great guy, has decided to join us yet again on this show, and uh, we shall now take a trip across the pond to London and speak with Robert Jukes. Hey, Robert, are you a Clash fan? Yeah, I love the Clash. What a great band! Running, calling, yes, classic song. It really is a classic song. Well, you know, you're you're a young fella, but one day you shall be a classic guy. Uh, hey, Jack, for sure, for absolutely. Sure. <laughs> That's like yeah. asking a Canadian if you like the Tragically Hip. Are you familiar with the Tragically Hip over there, Robert? Yeah, that's a sad story, right? It, it is a sad story. 
Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, S&P 500 uh, yesterday closed at an all-time high. The Nasdaq at an all-time high. Um, how did uh, Toronto do yesterday, Jack? Did it, did it punch through an all-time high? It's bumping up pretty close. I know that. Close, yeah. yeah. Uh, so things are looking pretty good. How's the FTSE doing, my friend, in London? Is it at an all-time high? Uh, no, it's, it's lagging a little bit. Uh, as is you slackers. the CSX for, for most of this year, to be honest. So, um, no, it's, it's, not, it's not as healthy as the other European indices at all. In fact, it's down. See what happens uh, when you want to leave? You don't online. listen. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I see, well, Toronto doesn't really have those tech stocks that are really booming down in the U.S. So uh, how's, how's the, uh, the London market, uh, the FTSE, in, in terms of uh, technology? What's your, what's your weighting over there? Yeah, it's not as big as, uh, as, as the U.S. Uh, at all. It's um, uh, it's pretty small. In fact, I think uh, some of the uh, the tech stocks that we've had, we've uh, we've um, we've sold. So. Uh no, there's not, there's not a lot in the... In the so, okay, that's one of the reasons why the American market always looks relatively expensive is in a, on a P ratio because they got a lot of the, the tech companies that trade at higher multiples because they have the higher growth, That's right? a good point. Yeah, and the S&P 500 has a 22% weighting in technology, so you're right, Jack. Yeah. The high Ps are certainly dragging up the overall market uh, price-earnings ratio, what we consider to be willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. Uh, but, Robert, let's go back now to um, London because Jack mentioned to me, you obviously are the, you are the financial hub or were the financial hub of Europe uh, however, I understand still are, that but yeah, still are, are but I understand that uh, my hinterland, Deutschland, uh, is going to attract a few of the banks towards Frankfurt in and fact. Paris too. I think and Paris, yeah. so, say Paris. That'd be a nice place to yeah, I mean, to work out of. It'd be a wonderful place. It seems likely if we we lose passporting, and uh, there'll be some functions for sure if we leave. Um, that will um, that will leave London. I mean, that's that's. It seems unlikely that we'll we'll end up. Um, Clearing euros as well. Uh, it's uh, and all of that happens in London. Uh, we've long been the envy of uh, of these European nations, and uh, yeah, it's a, a great strategic opportunity to come and cherry pick some of these uh, these services with some very unfriendly legislation. Yeah, I think, I think Goldman Sachs. That- I just say, I think Goldman Sachs actually made an announcement that they're moving their headquarters. It's already announced they're moving to Paris and uh, and then also over to uh, it's Frankfurt. Frankfurt, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, so uh, yeah. let's talk about the global stock market and this global bond market and uh, anything else that is catching your attention. Uh, you know, uh, year's coming to a close, and I think, uh, you know, I don't think Scrooge is going to show up. Do you think Scrooge is showing up or are we getting ourselves a Santa Claus rally? Well, we're doing all right without a Santa Claus rally, really. I mean, the, um, the U.S. up a uh, thick end of 20%, as you said, at the start of the show, the Dow at an all-time high. I and mean, it's uh, another one, and we've had lots of all-time highs as we've worked our way through, um, through this year. I mean, the, the laggards are, um, you know, have been Canada, have been the UK, and um, I, I wonder if, um, maybe not the UK, but I, want, I wonder if Canada starts to catch up a little. We, we've, uh, we've addressed our underweight to Canada in, in the ETF uh, portfolios that we run. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in, in lieu of that, the oil price, you know, we've had some good news. Uh, Russia and OPEC, it looks like they're going to extend that uh, deal. They've certainly agreed a framework for extending it. Uh, and the oil price does seem to drive a lot of activity within, um, within Canada. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a bit of catch-up from, 
from from Canada uh, uh, from here. Well, I, I just so, caught I just caught a stat in, in in the morning coffee that uh, Canada's economy actually uh, outpaced what the statistics were telling us. Uh, it grew at a one point eight percent clip as opposed to the one point seven clip, which means it generated about twenty four billion dollars or more economic output. Which means maybe the bank Canada's group is going to be pushed to raise interest rates a little bit. Uh, so, but we're getting mixed messages because at the same time, uh, our other strategist in Montreal, Martin Roberge, he thinks the Canadian real estate market is going to roll over next year to the tune of about 6%. So if that were to happen, I couldn't see the equity markets uh, you know, screaming a lot higher with real estate softening. What do you think of that? Especially with our reliance on the banks and how much of a weighting they are in our index. Correct. And then with the changes to the mortgage rules, that's going to affect the Canadian banks. So they could suffer a little bit next year. Give us your opinion on that, uh, Robert. Well, if um, if we take the uh, the tax that I was um, I was selling down with that uh, that fall on the oil price, if if that if that's right, then actually the banks should do pretty well out of some primary business um, in in financial markets. So um, I'm not, I'm not so sure. I mean, we've been talking about real estate in Canada for the longest time, mm-hmm. uh, Vancouver. Uh, Toronto, they've done very well. But then you, you look at um, you know, some of the uh, the cities like uh, Calgary, um, Edmonton, not so well. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, with the oil price, which is uh, which is just sort of lagged behind uh, the rest of this global uh, uptick. And resources really only this year have started to um, uh, to firm up. And we've had another little flip from iron ore uh, in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm not I'm not sure that Canada's going to Roll over. I, I think um, you know where I have some sympathy with Martin. We we're, we're towards the end of um, the cycle, or probably closer to the end of it than, than the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems very likely that this is going to continue to be a relatively low growth cycle, and one that's quite fragile. So I think what you know, if we look at the bond market, what's happening. Uh, certainly what's happened in Canada uh, since um, we've seen the the two rate hikes this year, we've seen the short end of the yield curve start to to rise. But the the long end has uh, has come down. And that's certainly the case over the last uh, three months. We've seen some some flattening in Canada, maybe not to the extent to which we've seen that in the US, but that certainly does seem to be markets more generally saying that we can see a little more in terms of interest rates on the short end but um, the economy really isn't going to stand up terribly well to too much tightening from here. Agreed. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a fine, it's a fine balance. It is a fine balance. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, look, we have, yeah, we have a balancing really act to do here. Robert we, have, Robert, we have a balancing act here, too, in terms of time and playing some commercials <laughs> time. So just stand, stand by, buddy. We've got one more to talk to you. You're not going to Brexit on us so quickly yet, buddy. Just stay put, <laughs> all right, right after this. <laughs> Stay with us. There's more show still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. What's wrong with a little sex pistols in the morning, eh? little high fidelity. Frigging in the rigging. <laughs> a little high fidelity there, eh? Uh, well, let's go to the finance part of the show. And we're 
Speaking live with London this morning, Robert Jukes, our international strategist at Canada Ingenuity Wealth Management, not celebrating uh, Thanksgiving, just another weekend for Robert. Hey, Robert? Absolutely. Yes, just about to head out and get something to eat. But uh, no, it's a, it's, it's a very quiet one for me. It, um, in terms of uh, shopping, it's funny because Jack, you gave, made a good point this morning uh, with, the, with that new Apple 10 256 gig phone selling, for example, in Canada over $1,800. That could eat your entire Christmas budget. Uh, There's only so much discretionary <laughs> income going around. Well, yeah. think about it. It's true. Like that—that that is one expensive Christmas gift. Um, so, so you know, it, of course, this weekend really marks Black Friday, where retail finally makes money in North America. Is it a similar for a similar phenomena in Europe, Robert? And is, is Cyber Monday uh, catching on, whereby you think about what you want to buy and you go to the bricks? on the weekend, but then when you go back to your desk, Jack, on Monday, yeah. you start clicking. Um, so bricks to clicks, uh, Cyber Monday has created, and people do a lot of online shopping. Uh, does that happen in England as well? Yeah, to some extent. Or are you guys uh, different? We've, um, no, well, we, we've uh, I think, caught on to that trend uh, in the last few years. Uh, so, um, so Cyber Monday... Uh, sort of, it's Black Friday rolls into Cyber Monday uh, here, just I think the same as uh, in North America. Uh, it's uh, you know, you, you, so many retailers are international, and Amazon being being one in, in particular, which is just all over. Uh, all the retail, like retail, has suffered hard in, in North America. Um, you know, we can go down the list, and Jack's been a little more in tune sometimes with retail than I. But there's not a lot of uh, success stories right now in retail. Uh, grocery under attack. Apparel massively under attack. Um, that mid-range item under attack. Dollar stores are fine. High ends fine. If you walk in the middle of the road, you know what can happen to you? You can get hit by a car. And that seems to be happening in the world of retail. So um, tell me, so what was the retail landscape like in Europe and in London? Yeah, again, it's very similar. I think uh, we're the sort of tentative signs of the, um, the volumes are probably going to be up this year. On, on last, but I think where the where retail is having a problem is is with margin. Yeah, yeah, volumes up on prices are down, right? Europe. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's the same in, in in the UK as it is in in, in Europe and in, uh, in in the US. Margins are a real problem for retail. Hmm. Uh, Robert, you, can, can I, can I go on? I just wanted to come back on something that Jack uh, mentioned right at the beginning. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Being expensive on a PE basis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because of the, the levels of tech, uh, that's something that we we were we've been looking at very recently. And actually, the US is you know it's not cheap anymore on a PE basis. And if you look at it on a trailing basis, it's it's around twenty times. Correct. But the average over the last thirty six is nearly eighteen, and the peak is nearly thirty. Yeah, that, that's so when I started this business, so- by the way. I, I, I joined this. And I, I, yeah, you laugh. It was tough, man. Uh, I, my boss said, I said, what's going on? This market's going down. He said, well, we're going through a multiple contraction. I said, what? Huh? He said, it's a multiple contraction. Well, the P is going to fall from 30 to maybe 15. But I, I said, did, yeah, but does that mean the stock market is going to go in half? He said, uh, yeah. I said, oh, no. Welcome to my new career. And I somehow survived. That, that's the other side of it, though. What's actually supporting it, right, Robert? And it's uh, you actually have you know healthy balance sheets, then you have earnings growth. You got earnings growth this year. I think it's almost ten percent. Yep. So in that context, and you know, projected for next as well at around that level. Yeah. So, so it, you could have ten percent returns to stocks without any more multiple expansion, which is you know it's an attractive place to be, especially a two percent bond market. Right. Well, for- you know, we, we we like it, and actually the U.S. does look. 
you know, a, t- a tad more expensive than the rest of the world on that relative. You know, to but the U.S., for the most part, is usually a little bit more expensive too, isn't it? Uh, I've seen that yeah, argument. Yeah, Europe, Europe trades at about a two-turn to, uh, point cheaper. Anyway, I'll tell you one thing, uh, Robert. I don't know if you follow fund flows, but a lot of North Americans are now taking money and putting it across the pond, uh, Jack and I included. So we're coming to get you, bud. And I would say part, uh, well, part of that trade, I think, Robert, is the fact that uh, yeah, <laughs> valuations are cheaper, but we also like taking on your currency risk because we think it will you know, appreciate uh, relative to the Canadian dollar. Yeah, you may, you may, Ooh, uh, I'd be careful with that. That's, um, uh, Ster- Sterling is, uh, I think, a very difficult one to call at the moment about sure. Brexit because I think there's some more bad news to come, come through before, um, as, is with, as is, is the tradition with European negotiations, that they go to the wire and beyond a little bit mm-hmm. before you get a resolution. So I'd be very careful with Sterling. Well, same year. thing might happen with NAFTA too. He'll probably go to the wire as well, push down that Canadian dollar. But but Jack's point is correct. We, yeah. we have, and same with the, the main like bond manager we had on. Uh, multiple currencies in a portfolio over the long term does uh, immunize an awful lot of volatility and risk. So we have exposure to Sterling. We call it the pound. I like the word Sterling. It's very British. Uh, we, of course, have exposure now to euros. We have exposure to, to yuan. We have exposure to yen. Obviously, we have exposure to a lot of U.S. dollar. But we, as a country, of Canada, representing 2% of the global GDP, we have a very, very volatile currency. So as, as you warn us about the sterling, may we warn you, my good friend, about the loony. On that note, I'm going to wish you a great weekend, buddy. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio, AM640, the Sex Pistols love you, and well, we love you too. We'll speak with you very soon, Robert. Coming up next, we are going to go to Los Angeles. Weinstein is on the chopping block, and we're going to find out what those entertainment lawyers are concocting with the new contracts for all this misbehavior that's been taking place right after this. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Hi-Fi Radio AM 640. Jack Hartle in the studio, Wolfgang Klein, your host. Oh, I'm Californicating right now. I'd love to be in California. But I shall do so vicariously through my good friend Sarah Scott, a Torontonian who, well, decided to go to California with uh, her hubby, Jeremy Summers, both of which worked work in the entertainment industry. Sarah is a veteran in the industry, as a matter of fact, worked at uh, Universal Music for over 11 years, heading up a legal affairs there. She worked in a digital program, a television program here in Canada, and she went over to L.A. for some better weather, and she's been bragging about it ever since, haven't you, Sarah? <laughs> I certainly have. <laughs> I love the it's address that you work. It's 90 degrees today. Is it 90? Ooh. Yeah. Wow. In Celsius, I forget what that is, but yeah. Yeah, but 30-something. Uh, yes. Yeah. You, no, but you're still doing centimeters and meters, I hope, Sarah. No inches and feet, I hope. 
I don't know. Here it's inches and feet and 90 degrees. <laughs> America is very different. <laughs> wow. Well, it certainly is different. And I'll tell you, my wife is going to miss Kevin Spacey on Netflix. Um, uh, yeah. You know, and, and so here we go. Uh, we, we want to get you on the show just to talk about uh, uh, the, the, the law of contract and uh, employment law. And you, you mentioned that you got some new drafting to do when you're creating these uh, uh, contracts uh, with these uh, individuals. But seven women, uh, including Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, accusing uh, Mr. Weinstein of sexual misconduct. Uh, uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, I think he had, what, almost 30 yeah. people come forward uh, saying over, over the past, what, 30 or 40 years, uh, various occurrences of misconduct uh, occurred. So the first question that we have for you, Sarah, is these cases uh, are cases that occurred, a lot of them, in, in 1980. Um, is there no statutory of limitation, statute of limitations that apply to this type of stuff? There absolutely is. Um, being an attorney, now I'm, I'm an entertainment attorney, as you said, Wolf, um, but I know of these laws in California, if the contract's governed by California, and, and if, this, if the case happened in California, we know that for rape, uh, for sexual assault, you might have as much as 10 years uh, as the statute of limitations. Um, for a crime committed more than 10 years ago, then, then that would be beyond the statute of limitations. But for something like lewd conduct, which we're seeing in cases such as, for example, Louis C.K., that was only about a year in California for a statute of limitations. So sometimes wow. that will not be able to be prosecuted. A year? A year. That is not yeah. a lot of time. My goodness me. No, but, you know, what's interesting that's happening is, is not just the criminal aspect of that, you know, where the LAPD here was a, an article in the L.A. Times yesterday about they've created, there's so many allegations right now that they've created a special task force, I believe five uh, special investigators, two on each team, so ten in total, just to, to deal with the onslaught of investigations. But that's all, that's all criminal. What's very powerful is when, forgetting the statute of limitations, but just having the company, for example, not wanting to be associated with the key employee any longer, regardless of whether you can bring criminal charges. Well, that's just it. And that's that, powerful. It, well, it is powerful, and that's exactly what you and I spoke about when it comes to um, uh, Netflix uh, it, it and gets, Kevin Spacey. It, it gets uh, down they, to ratings, and the market actually dictates the fact that uh, if these guys are going to uh, you know, carry on this way, uh, they're going to lose business. Unbelievable. But so which brand yeah. are, they, are they willing to protect, their brand or their employee's brand? They'll protect the dollar well, at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's, what's, what's changed? You know, like, this is why... This is why I think that the Harvey Weinstein situation is an interesting, it's a tipping point, because he, he's a powerful movie mogul, has been for over 20 years, founder of the Weinstein Company that's produced many movies that we all love. Mm-hmm. Um, dozens and dozens of women have recently come forward with allegations of sexual misconduct against him, but instead of protecting him, even the founder of the company, the man who's the key asset of their company and in, in assuming their bottom line, his company fired him. Wow. And that's a shift. In, it used to be covering up, protecting. We never would have even known. I mean, we know that his company knew about his behavior for decades probably because his 2015 employment contract was released publicly or was reported on publicly by TMZ. 
and it said that if basically if he treated someone improperly, that he just had to reimburse the company and pay two hundred and fifty thousand for the first instance, five hundred thousand for the second, seven hundred and fifty for the third, and a million for each additional instance. So basically, cure this behavior they're contemplating is going to happen. And they're writing that in his employment contract. Wow. All right, Sarah. And, and, and that's, that's a change. Okay, we're going to play a few commercials, Sarah. Uh, but I want to come back to you because, again, th- this is a story in many ways that, that I became aware of this type of behavior uh, with respect to what happened at the CBC with Gian Gimashi. Obviously not. Uh, he was acquitted mm-hmm. on all charges. But it was a story that actually broke before this Weinstein story. Uh, and, of course, now uh, the ACTRA is going to change their um, uh, standards and, 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 and update their standards for the modern day. So let's talk about that as well right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640. Well, this is it, the last hit. And we're in sunny California. It's at 90 degrees there today, is it, Sarah? Yes, it is. Yeah, Sarah Scott's on the line. She's an entertainment lawyer with La Polte La in California, West Hollywood, as a matter of fact, 9000 Sunset Boulevard. Boy, oh boy, I'm jealous every time I speak with you, Sarah. But we are talking, of course, <laughs> about... Uh, Sexual misconduct, and so you, so you you write these contracts, and now these new clauses are being implemented. If you commit this act, you pay this. If you commit this act twice, you pay more. But Jack makes a very very good point. Um, again, sexual misconduct is illegal. How can you write about an illegal act and and, and have an out through in through contract fin- law? It in contract, yeah, this doesn't make sense, Sarah. Or, or or does it? What are we missing here? Yeah, I think it's the way it's phrased. So apparently in Harvey Weinstein's contract, it talked about if you violated the company's code of conduct. And so that is not suggesting anything, a criminal behavior. It's merely saying if you violate the company's code of conduct, you have to reimburse us for settlements and judgments and pay liquidated damages. And that's a way of getting around, you know, it's not actually saying if you you commit uh, sexual assault, uh, we're okay with that. Uh. So it's a, it's sort of a, a way of drafting around it in order to that clearly his lawyers wanted, um, because a lot of people are saying the board of his company fired him illegally because his contract protects him from things like this. So part of what's coming under fire right now are not only the boards but the lawyers who write these. We have to be aware that these contracts could be be made public. Even if they're confidential, they could be found and anonymously made public. And then everybody's got egg on their face to say, to put it mildly. But th- that's unbelievable um, because, because that's just it. A settlement occurs, and then all of a sudden an NDA is stamped on the forehead of the, shall we yeah. call it, a victim, a, a non-disclosure agreement. Lifelong non-disclosure. Like, good golly, keeping a secret is tough. A lifelong secret? That would just burn a hole in your heart, perhaps. Am I wrong? Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, we're, we must have seen situations like we don't know about these before. 
So think about how many settlements that have quietly been done. Um, yeah. Certain broadcasters now who are public who are releasing things saying they've spent $90 million on settlements, even though their co- corporation for people like you and me has a zero tolerance for our behavior, uh, where it comes to their on-air personalities like Bill O'Reilly and the like, they're settling lawsuits left and right that we don't even know about because it's all under the cone of an NDA silence. Isn't that unbelievable? Wow. So, so here's a story now from the Canadian press, uh, Sarah. I'm going to bring you back home for a second, my friend. Uh, written yesterday, as a matter of fact, and just speaking about uh, it's been a long time coming. The mogul's downfall sparks Weinstein effect calling out of harassment. Speaking, of course, about actor and saying that the actor unit has to uh, get together to make changes. Uh, Mia Kirshner, she wrote a blistering opinion piece last month in The Globe, blasting the disease in the industry of turning a blind eye to sexual harassment and abuse carried out by those who wield power in the film industry so you know we're seeing it yeah. both sides of the border we're seeing it across the pond uh this story is, is, is not going away anytime soon yet the netflix stock <laughs> is, is, is bumping up against all-time highs so i think what netflix did with uh well it's still it's still damaging what uh what, what happened there with netflix no doubt right? no doubt about House it but cards and, and kevin spacey is a black eye on netflix they but sure. but he is but they just dropped them like a hot potato and just moved they on it, yeah, yeah. It, it's incredible and that's that's the key they, they the response now is instead of quashing the victim the response from the for the bottom line of the companies is distance ourselves immediately or consumers will use their power and choose another product and part of that is social media and i think the fact that uh, social media is so powerful now is forcing uh, hollywood and and big uh, big corporate america to respond uh, the way they should yeah but no, so again let's go let's, let's talk about one other thing here sarah um again no one has been officially charged but not convicted Right, and the same happened with the yeah. CBC situation. Uh, the CBC, I think, walked on Gian Gimeshi, yet he wasn't convicted, and obviously, ultimately acquitted uh, of the charges. Yet he lost his job; his reputation was damaged. Uh, I'm not supporting uh, any of these individuals. Don't get me wrong here. I'm just saying the, the they too felt uh, the punitive damages, I think, to their career, and yet they weren't officially committed of a crime. Correct. That's true, but again, there are two things that happen in our society. There's there's a criminal standard. And then there's, there are lawsuits that are filed civilly, yep. also, which, is a, which is a different level of culpability. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt type of culpability. It's more balance of probabilities, um, a different lower standard. That, that's what happened, I guess, with the O.J. Simpson case, isn't it, Sarah? That was a civil case that yeah, he got charged. Yep. Exactly. Ah, isn't that something and, else? And, well, and, and frankly, CBC is, is within its rights as a corporation to do what it felt it needed to do um, to, in the best interest of the company. It doesn't have to follow um, because he was acquitted, Gian Gomeshi, in court. Uh, and it wrote a memo to employees saying that the behavior that, he, that they had evidence of uh, it was not acceptable to them and their standards. Now, on a final note, Sarah, on a final note, now you deal with a lot of, um, shall I say, rock stars, and I'm, I'm a music guy at heart, and that's how you and I actually became friends is through the music industry. So are you having similar conversations with the like of Steven Tyler? Well, with, with, with people like Steven, what we always advise them to do is to hire publicists, and in particular crisis publicists, because... These people are known as experts in handling situations uh-huh. like this. So we, we have not represented anyone so far that, that has been accused of anything like this, but they are asked about their feelings. If they're friends with somebody 
who is being accused. And so we like to tell them to have responses ready um, for how they feel, knowing they're going to be asked about that. Um, so crisis PR is something we always advise all our clients uh, to have. Yeah, no, no those, those, I'll call them spin doctors. They have an awful lot of talent. They can do some good work for you and protect your brand. Uh, and it's all about brands these days. Uh, you know, Sarah, you're a brand of mine, and you're a very good brand. Uh, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I want to thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio this Saturday morning. And may your day be filled with sun my good friend. Thank you. You're, Thank you, guys. You're welcome. And that's another show of Hi-Fi Radio, High Fidelity, High Finance, all put into one jam-packed hour of fun. I want to wish you a great weekend, and I look forward to being with you and Jack next Saturday morning on Hi-Fi Radio. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.